Um, and we've been looking at a, a series on, on worldviews. And the view that we should have as believers. We've talked about pantheism. And the pantheists believe that God is in everything. That the way you connect with reality is through creation. That's why you have worship of trees, all of these other things. In a sense, God is in everything that God created the universe. But we, they, they do not worship the true God. Then there's uh, naturalism, which really focuses more on science. And science is really the only thing that counts. So if it can't be proved scientifically, it doesn't matter. It's not real. Humanism, although we can focus on science, deals with critical thinking and reasoning. And then there's uh, what, I, what is called postmodernism. And postmodernism is the age and big age in which we're living now. Postmodernists believe that society determines truth. So in other words, what may be true for one part of society may not be true in another. And you see this playing out in our world today. So we've been looking at truth, and truth was found in Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is the only way to God. We looked at that in John 8, 31 and 32, and John 14, 6. Last week, we looked at God created the universe, that we had all the way back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and then God created man in 1.26. So two of the key doctrines or worldviews that we should have as believers is that ultimate truth is found and anchored in Christ, and that God created the universe and everything that we see, and that also God created man. Now today, I want to follow up and talk about human dignity, something that is often lost. I was, I was troubled yesterday when I found out that in Canada, they are now euthanizing people for all kinds of reasons. One man went in and, uh, at least from the news, the news report, he was feeling depressed, so they decided that the best thing to do would be to put him down. This is happening right now. It, 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 it's almost like life has no value. And uh, I was amazed in uh, California. Well, get a little ahead of myself here, but when we look at Psalm 139, God is all-knowing, 1 through 6, all-present, 7 through 12, and all-powerful, 13 to 18, and of course then David and the, the rest of the, the chapter talks about David's fidelity to God and, and his love for God. But we live in a day, and that's kind of the backdrop. King David wrote this psalm, beautiful psalm, one of his last. But we live in a day where life seems to be under attack. Seriously, I, I was troubled when I heard that in Canada, that it's becoming more and more 
prevalent in their culture. It's almost like we have created a culture of death. And uh, when you get older, the government could say to you, you no longer need to exist. You're costing the system too much. As believers, we believe in life. That's a fact. That's anchored in Scripture. We're in a battle right now. These are back uh, a month and a half ago when the Supreme Court struck down the constitutional right. By the way, it was not constitutional to start with. It should have been overturned. And so now we're in a battle. But I can tell you this morning that 12 states, based on the Supreme Court's decision that it is not a constitutional right, what they basically did was kick it back to the states. When that happened, there was what was called triggers. And some of these triggers have already been taking place in Georgia. There's the heartbeat bill. But now we have 12 states that have put a ban on abortion. Three more are in the process of banning abortion. Now what was troubling, and I read the California law on abortion, you can be a minor and request an abortion without your parents' approval. Illinois, our state right here, the governor has just approved $5.8 million to fund abortion. So if you are in Indiana, where it's getting ready to be banned, you can come over to Illinois and you can get an abortion easy. Governor Newsom in California, come to California and have an abortion. We'll pay for it. So we're living, this is a real fight. But I'm going to tell you, I think we're winning. I know it doesn't look like it, but I think we're winning because the more science realizes when the fetus moves in a womb when it's getting ready to be sucked out, when a, when a baby moves, it, it, it doesn't sit well with Americans. And so I think we're eventually going to win this. We're not totally going to win it. There's always going to be states out there. But one thing we need to keep in mind is that God creates life. Let's look at Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed me, for you formed my inward parts. For is explanatory. And if you go back, um, if you go back and read verse 12, even in the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is light with you. So he, he's saying that God formed my inner parts. God can see everything. This word formed is kana, which refers to the birth of a child. The inward parts kill ya. This is an interesting, you could spend a couple of hours researching this word, these, these words, inward parts kill ya. And it, it can mean, particularly in the Jewish culture, kidney. For the Jews, the kidney was the seat of the, of the emotion, the inner being. So when you fast forward to the New Testament, you talk about Jesus will change your heart, the Jews might have not understood all of that. How can Jesus change your heart? In their culture, kidney was central to that life. But here, it means heart, mind, and spirit. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? The inward parts, the heart, mind, and spirit. 
God is the one who creates the heart, creates the mind, and the spirit. And through the chemical process that only God can do, that only God can do, you have human life as, as the end result. So God is the one that is at work in the life of a mother who is pregnant. Um, King Solomon said something that was very fascinating. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. How God does this, if you think about what we talked about the first session, the Big Bang, where you had this molecule that exploded, that the universe is expanding, and from this explosion, all of these things came to be. Here's the thing. There was an intelligent design. And if there is an intelligent design, there is an intelligent designer. And so God is the one who is creating life, continuing to create life, even though it is flawed at this point because that we send in, in Genesis chapter 3. Michael Wilcox quotes Roy Clements and his writing, My own mother wasn't aware of my existence for a while. It was as if I was buried in some deep cave under the earth. But it was precisely then that I was most clearly the recipient of your care and attention. You know, when we think about the miracle of birth and we think about the wonder uh, of, of God and, and how, he, how he orchestrated everything, how he created man out of the dust of the ground. Theologically, you go back to the dust of the ground the same way that you came. It's just mind-boggling. And Solomon's quote in Ecclesiastes kind of hits to the, to the heart of the subject. As believers, we know that God creates life. God is the one that is in the process of creating uh, in the womb. Uh, God is the one that's doing that. But when you look at the lost world and you look at their worldview, that it is, and I, I was shocked. I, I really was. And two churches before this, I had a couple in my church. They were fine in every other way, but they said they were pro-choice. I said, how can you claim a Christian worldview if you believe in pro-choice? Well, we believe in the woman's right to choose for herself. That was shocking. Uh, that was the only place I really found any boinks with them. Uh, listen, I, I want you to understand there's only one view for the Christian. It is pro-life. God is pro-life. And so we as believers, we have to have that view. That is something we have to have. It is a theological foundation for God is the one who creates life. 
and, and we, have to, we have to be able to uh, articulate this to, to the world that it's, it's, you know why we have abortions? Because people uh, see it as an interference with their daily lives. That's why we have abortions. There's, a, there's other reasons. I'll just be honest with you. I'm going to share my heart. God already knows this. I'm against abortion in every case. In every case. The way technology has come, uh, very few times, it used to be commonplace back in the 1800s, women would die in childbirth, but that's not the case today. There's a lot of technology. Um, so I, I come down on the side of life regardless. Let me give you an example. My pastor, who's now with Jesus, was a product of a situation where his mother was raped. Charlie was born and grew up and became a pastor. So I am, I'm, I'm, a, I'm against it on all levels, and I will, I'll not apologize for that. I don't feel the need to. Uh, I, I think it's morally and ethically wrong to have an abortion. That is, that is, my, that is where I stand basically because God is the one who has set in motion the, the child development, which we're going to get into in just, just a minute. God creates life, biological formation. You read this and you go, well, you get biological formation out of this. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We often steer clear from the scientific part of the belief that God creates life. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Betin. Let's look at this word womb, womb for a moment. Just to kind of, I, I actually had to go study this because <laughs> one, one thing about pastoring and preachers, you have to be able to master certain subjects that may not quite be popular. Uh, but anyway, he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Okay, this is the womb that God created. Here you have what's called the placenta. The placenta gives oxygen and, and nutrients. It also removes waste that would be harmful to the baby. This is the umbilical cord, which is, as Christian scientists call it, the lifeline. God was the one that created that umbilical cord. He's the one that develops this. And here you can see the other parts um, of the womb, the uterus, the cervix. And of course, in childbirth, you have the dilation that, that goes along with it. Um, some dilations are faster than others. Uh, but the bottom line here is the womb was created by God. It's almost as if God says, I'm going to give this life that I have set in motion with creation, I'm going to give it a safe space. Kind of amazing. Kind of amazing. And you think about everything that God created, and yet he takes a special care <clears throat> to develop this womb where this child will grow, and it's connected to its mother. And it just pains and breaks my heart to think that there's children and there's a lot of statistics out there, but there are thousands and thousands 
of abortions taking place in America today and it makes my heart sick because those children are precious in the eyes of God. I don't understand how you could be a born-again believer and be pro-choice. Knowing full well that God gave us life, it staggers my imagination. He knitted me together, King David says. Sahak, and this word literally means, I'm not making this up, this is from the Hebrew, to cause a biological body to form and grow. Sahak, to cause a biological body to grow and form. So it's, it's God's work in the womb creating this baby that he knows so well. Fetal development. I think I forgot my... I said I was going to bring my ruler and I didn't. Uh, look at the uh, germinal stage and then the embryonic stage and then the fetal stage. At one month, one to four weeks, it is a quarter of an inch. Think about that. A quarter of an inch. God. The smallest things God does. At two months, five to eight weeks, it's a half an inch. Fascinating. At three months, nine to 13 weeks, it's two inches. It begins to grow. He knitted me together. That's the biological forming that God is mentioning, that, that King David's mentioning when he says, he knit me together. God is doing the biological forming on this child. Two inches. Uh, that's, that's probably about right. Maybe close, but two inches. And then it continues from there. Four months, 14 to 17. Three to five inches. Wow. Awesome. It begins to grow. Only God can do that. He is knitting together in the womb this child. Six months, 10 inches, 14, 16, and 18. 18.7 here. But what I see is in this process, I see this word, sahak which is the biological formation and growth of a child. And how God does that is so fascinating because of the baby in the womb receives nourishment and nutrients and oxygen from the mother. And so, amazing. You know what? I, I think this is me personally, like Paul says, not I, not the Lord, but I say, uh, this is my own thing here is, um, first of all, abortion can't be forgiven. There's only one sin that cannot be forgiven, and that is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. But there are so many couples in America today that cannot have kids. Why couldn't we have a place, and it's actually being developed in the Christian community, a place where Mothers who do not want their babies can bring them to fruition, give birth, and allow couples to have a child that could not otherwise have it. Mm. Quite amazing. Life is precious. And again, 
God is the one that does this. So important that we nail this down in our hearts, that we become a pro-life Christian. Leslie Allen, a good scholar, he wrote, God sees the psalmist at all times, even in the dark, and sees into the depths of his being, into his conscience where truth lies. And this is not surprising since the divine weaver was responsible for its creation. Let me say this this morning. God knows everything about you. It would stand to reason that if God knows everything about you because he created you, then God wants to have a relationship with you. That's why people say, I don't know, there's just something missing in my life. I want to tell them Christ is missing from your life. Turn your life to him and everything will come into focus and you'll understand what it means to see God and all of his glory and his majesty because that's what we do as Christians. We praise him. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has knit us together in, his, in our mother's womb. He has created this life. And I know that there are those, uh, that California bill, uh, the doctor decides. The doctor decides if that baby lives or dies after six months. I get angry when I think about that. I think of the, I think it's the ex-governor of Virginia saying that after the child is born, a discussion can take place. That's murder. And so, this is a kind of an emotional sermon for me because it's so rooted, it's so deep, and God creates life, the biological formation, and also the creation belongs to God. And the result of this is that we praise him. We praise him. Listen to what King David wrote. He said, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The first thing was, I praise you. Yada, this word praise, it can mean to give thanks. It can mean a public confession of guilt. But I think what it, the correct interpretation here is a public confession of the attributes and acts of a divine person. That's literally one of the interpretations. So David David is, you put me together. Wow! You are powerful. You are awesome. You are a worthy God. And, and also, this also comes into play when we are in worship. We are, that's what worship is. Worship is that we sing songs to God and we come in here and our voices are booming because of the great God that we have who has given us life. And by the way, Every breath that we take today is by God. Every breath 
that we have today and that we take comes because we have such a good and gracious God. I think worship should be an exciting time. It really should. We should bolt through those doors ready to worship the God who created us, created everything around us, gave us every good gifts, all the good gifts that we have, and to come here on Sunday morning and to rally around the banner of how great Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are. So it should be an exciting week. The culmination, actually the beginning of a new week. This is where we get energized. We come with other believers and we worship God and we praise God and we also encourage each other as the days are growing increasingly dark. David says, I praise you because you knit me together in my mother's womb. And then he says this, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You volumes. Palom Dalif. It's, it's a word I practiced all week. Palom Dalif. Because it's really difficult. Some of these Hebrew words are really difficult to pronounce. Yahweh Palom Dalif. Those are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a reference to God. It is a reference to God. Roger Ellsworth is correct when he writes this. Some of the newer translations render the phrase as a description of God. You are fearfully wonderful. Isn't that awesome? You are fearfully wonderful. That is, God is so marvelous and wonderful that the only thing one can do is stand in awe of him. It really is. One of the things that uh, has always excited me is when mothers in the church give birth to their children. Um, being a dad and witnessing it twice, much younger Christian at the time, uh, quite amazing that moment when you see the end product of God's creation and the first time that you put your finger out and your child grabs it it's quite an amazing feeling and of course overwhelming I remember when Summer was born, I screamed at the captain, how long are you going to let this go on? Because it was quite a long, I think it was 18, 20 hours, something like that, that Audrey was in labor, and I was tired. <laughs> yeah. I remember the captain looking at me, and he said, Sergeant Fraser." go get yourself something to eat because I was too charged watching Audrey suffer and it, it was just exhausting <laughs> uh, but then there's that moment I'm, I'm in big trouble by the way um, 
that moment when the child comes into the world and you hear that cry. It's quite amazing. And we stand in awe of that. We stand in awe of that. That this is what God did. So, so marvelous. As a pastor, to go in where they, a young family has just given birth. Such a wonderful moment. Because what you see there is the end result of God's creative process. It really is quite amazing. And so as Christians, we value what God has done in the life of that mother and that family and the blessing that he has given us. And that that life is precious. It was hidden for a while, but now God's redemptive work is revealed in the person of this little child who is dependent on its mother and father to develop its life. Love what God does. How wonderful that process is. Quite amazing. That dad's happy. He probably said the same thing. I'm really tired. God's works, we praise him. Wonderful are your works, David says. Wonderful are your work. My soul knows it very well. May say, works, and this is the expenditure of energy that God did in the creating process. See, here's the thing. Every person Every baby that is born is available to, be, to need a Savior. Where do you think the born-again language comes from in the New Testament? You must be born again. How can I go in my mother's womb and be born again a second time? With man, this is impossible. But with God, it is possible. You have to be born again. And, and this is where we get this born again language. Every child is born into sin and needs to be redeemed. And say, that's why Jesus went to the cross. The cross scans all of history from the time Jesus died on that cross, paid for our sins, it spans the whole time of history. And every child that is born, God wants a relationship with. So parents, grandparents, the most important thing that you can do for your child or your grandchild is to tell them about Jesus so that they can become saved and know the Redeemer who made them. Quite amazing. Nephesh is the word soul, and it refers to the essence of life. David knew it. He knew in his bones, you have knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You did that, God, and my soul inward knows it. David has a lot of feeling here. 
It's not like he says, I praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you. He's saying, I know in my nephesh, my soul, my being, you are to be praised for your marvelous works. What you have done, who you are, and how you created me is staggering. David says, I know it in my soul, in my inmost being. People say that... uh, That abortion is not mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, there were laws in the Old Testament that if you hurt a pregnant woman and you caused harm to the baby, there would be repercussions from that. A lot of Christians don't know that, but that's in the Old Testament, that God protected the mothers. So, knowing all of this, We need to work and be pro-life. That's our only option. That's our only option because we know the greatness of God and his process, how he does things. I remember Bill Fote. Bill used to sit over there. Yeah. Bill Fote used to go down to the Planned Parenthood and protest. And I supported that. I think as believers, we need to make a stand on this issue. It is a hill worth dying on. The inerrancy of scripture, I'll die on it. The abortion issue, because it's so central to creation in Genesis. I'll die on that too. I'll die on once saved, always saved. These are big issues. Truth, creation, human dignity. Every life is valuable to God. Black, white, red, whatever. They're all precious to God. And as Christians... As Christians, knowing that life is so valuable should be out there on the highways and byways of life telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, that he can redeem them, he can pay for their sins, he can, he can do a work in their heart and change their life, and they can be new creations, even if they may be old. Human dignity. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. My soul knows it. What a testimony by David of something that has changed and shaped our understanding of human life. Every life, every life is valuable and worthy of salvation. 
This is what I think we should do this morning. I think we should pray for our world. I, I think that we should pray that abortions slowly go away. I know they're not totally going to disappear because we live in a fall, fallen culture. But pray specifically for people who are thinking about having an abortion. Pray for them that they may see the value of this life and that there's so many, just so many people that can't have children that would love to be able to hold a baby. I think we need to be more prayerful about this. I think we need to look at the world and say, we can have our voice heard. God will judge leaders who promote and incentivize abortion.